Welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today, I'm releasing my personal most anticipated video thus far. Um, I've been trying to reach out to people in baseball and whiskey and like find a marriage between the two of them because, you know, a lot of baseball <clears throat> coaches and players like whiskey and a lot of whiskey people are big baseball fans. So there's kind of a natural marriage there that has been fun and you know sometimes it's not there and so what like you're still going to hear some really cool stories from people in each industry and you know i was kind of thinking about is there a way for me to use my we'll call it platform so to speak um with having a podcast and hopefully having you know some sort of an audience that is um you know interested in similar things and kind of wanted to branch out a little bit so a few weeks back i was sitting around and i thought to myself and be really fun to invite somebody on that's not necessarily in whiskey or baseball. You know, maybe they have an interest in, in both. And so I was thinking, and I just, I happened to go on Instagram. One of the first posts that I saw was from Jim Lindbergh, who was uh, the lead singer of Pennywise, which is my favorite band ever. And I thought, I'm going to send him a message and just ask him if he would be interested in coming on. I got a response right back, said, yeah, man, sounds cool. Let's do it. Here's my email. And, you know, so I, I had a momentary freak out and, you know, sent an email, had a couple back and forths and, you know, we set a time and date and lo and behold, we sit down and have an opportunity to interview the lead singer from my favorite band ever that I've seen probably two dozen times. And I was so excited for this. I, I can't even begin to describe my excitement to have this, this zoom call with this guy that is like literally my favorite singer ever. And here's where I'm going to equate this to. And this is where some people are going to be like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, compare. And it does for me because this is the equivalent for me personally of my dad sitting down talking to Mick Jagger. Okay. Now, again, you can say, well, Pennywise and Rolling Stones are not the same. They're not, but that the, the guy that sings the songs that I relate most to sitting down, having a conversation with me is and is a, is an absolute blast. I mean, I'm not a big, like, let's, let's go up and say hi to people or celebrities or whatever. If you see them out in public, most people, I really don't care about. I've got three people, three people that I would literally walk up to and say hi to. The first one was Jim Tomey, which I got a chance to do at the Phoenix airport. And he was unbelievably nice. Um, the second one is Jim Lindbergh, who that's who my conversations with today. Same thing unbelievably nice. Um, the third one, the rock, if you're listening, let's do it. Um, but like, so, so far I'm two for two with people that I would love to meet or talk to, um, that have been, you know, everything you really hope for them to be somebody that you may look up to or respect, or, you know, um, just, just somebody that you find interesting and somebody that you hold in high regard. How I just think about how much it would suck to, really want to meet somebody you're getting an opportunity to talk with somebody and they were just awful like they were terrible to you um no fun no, no somebody that after you met them you were let down by meeting a person you wanted to meet um jim Lindbergh was just so incredibly kind you know you don't know what kind of answers you're going to get because this is kind of a weird platform to have a conversation on, you know, you're face to face, somebody you don't know. And here I am just a fan of his band. 
And, you know, that conversation could have gone very short and very abrupt. And it wasn't like the answers he gave were so great. They were so thought out and authentic and genuine and everything that you would hope the conversation would be. That's how this went. You know, this was not a, um, this wasn't a one word answer. It was digging a little bit deeper. It was getting like getting into some, some questions that hopefully, you know, from a fan perspective that I wanted to know, and, and maybe from another perspective of people who listen to this, that might be into baseball or whiskey or both or neither, but they find a, a way to take the things that he says in this conversation. And you, you, you interject that into your life, such as dealing with people in your band. It's not always fun and sunshine and rainbows all the time. Like you're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where you go, dude, I cannot see you. I I need a break from you. Um, There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. There's going to be all sorts of things. And ultimately you're working together to create a good product, whether it's whiskey, whether it's baseball, whether it's a punk rock band, it doesn't matter. You're working with a group of guys who a lot of times are most likely going to be very strong-minded um, and, and have opinions. And it's not always easy. And he talks about that. He talks about when he left the band briefly and, um, you know, how that process went and, and this process of, you know, what's it like to write a song? How do you do it? How do you, what do you do on a, on a day that you've got a, a concert, you've got a show that night, what's that day look like? Um, you know, just some fun things and, and some cool information that I was curious about with some of the songs and, um, really just grateful. And on to top it off, we got to talk Dodger baseball his excitement for winning the world series, his favorite player. Um, you know, we got to take a shot of whiskey. So it was, uh, it was really from me, from my perspective for as nervous as I was to have this conversation, it was awesome. And it was something that I really appreciate. He, he took almost an hour and a half of his time to, to have this chat with me. And, uh, we made it through two technical difficulties and just, an absolute blast. I'm probably a bigger fan now than I was, um, you know, even beforehand. So uh, I appreciate Jim and his time and his authentic answers. And uh, I hope you guys check this out. And I hope you enjoy this conversation because this was, uh, this was certainly a highlight for me and and one that I think is going to be difficult for me to top uh, from my own personal perspective. And as you know, this is all about me. So I was, I was really grateful for this conversation. It's so appreciative of the time that Jim took to talk with me, to uh, give answers that were so well thought out and so real. And, and um, you know, just from a fan's perspective, to get to meet the, a, a person that you look up to, um, somebody that you've enjoyed watching, you've enjoyed their career, you've enjoyed their music. I mean, Pennywise, for me, like this was the soundtrack of I mean, middle school, high school, college. Like this was a huge part I mean, I've been listening to Pennywise since my first tape in 1991. Um, so I, this was really a lot of fun for me. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Check out Pennywise. If you've not listened to their music, um, you, you really should. They, they make some, they make great music. It's hard. It's fast. It's positive, um, And it's just awesome. Everything about it's great. And I, I think, you know, might not be for everybody, but if you're into it, you're going to get a lot out of it. You're going to get a lot out of their lyrics. I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. So uh, enjoy this. This was a lot of fun for me, right?
Okay, Jim Lindbergh, thank you so much for uh, for jumping on here with us uh, for this call with me, man. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Right on. It's good to be here. Good to be seen, even if it's on the the Zoom call as usual these days. Yeah. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, pre Pennywise, if you don't mind. Pre Pennywise. Well, um, I grew up here in. Uh, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, California, which is considered the South Bay of LA. Um, uh, grew up a huge Dodgers fan. Uh, I heard that's uh, relevant to the program. So uh, um, my dad uh, was a air cargo sales rep. So he had to wine and dine clients. And one of the ways that he did that is grab his son and take their son to uh, Los Angeles sporting events. So in the um, late 70s, early 80s, I was at Laker games, Kings games, Dodger games, Angels games. I was, uh, I saw a lot of sports and very fortunate to be, I went to the World Series with the Dodgers twice, um, did the kind of things that were really cool, like uh, I met some of the players, things like that, but we'll get into all that. But yeah, yeah. basically, uh, um Grew up here at the beach, so did a lot of surfing, a lot of beach activities. I, I always say I some days I had three square meals in the sand. <laughs> and uh, um, so total beach kid. I've got the uh, sunspots on the nose to uh, to show for all the sunburns I, I got over the years. But uh, had a great upbringing, uh, great family. And, um, and then uh, really... Um, Coming from this area, so many great punk bands came from Hermosa Beach, The Descendants, Black Flags, Circle Jerks. Um, another band called The Last kind of kicked it off. But um, having all that great music around me was, you know, real easy for me to go down to Pure Music and get myself a guitar and start playing. And, and um, in high school, I figured out pretty early that I was never going to be a professional baseball player or a professional surfer. So I knew I had to try and be a professional something. So I, I went after the guitar more than anything and uh, uh, somehow wound up uh, meeting some of uh, the local guys. Uh, Jason, I grew up with uh, around the block and we uh, started this band Pennywise and it just happened really fast after that. When did you guys I did when... go to, I did go to uh I went to college, went to San Diego State, and then finished at UCLA. So that was in there too. Did you start? You started Pennywise after UCLA. Probably right as I was graduating. Right when when, when that was going down, um, we started playing uh, backyard parties and stuff like that. So is that is that how it starts? I mean, you get your get your buddies together and you start playing, and you're playing at parties, and it just kind of takes off from there. Yeah, you know, the I'd been in bands in high school, and we'd always played little parties, and, and when those were going on, we were playing cover songs, and it was kind of like, you know, you're so young, it was so nerve-wracking, and like, were people going to throw stuff at you, and, you know, or ignore you? Was it, I, the, first, the first show that we played in my first band, um, we played to my four best friends and their mom. <laughs> so, that's the only people that were there and uh um and it kind of when i was in college we started playing the fraternity circuit so we had some bigger parties and things like that but um uh 
I remember with Pennywise, it came together pretty fast where we, um, uh, they had written some songs and had a singer that was in the band for a little bit. And I came in and joined after I was playing in this other local band. And we played our first party and it was just mayhem from the first note and a crazy fight broke out. The cops were there within three minutes. We, we probably got three songs done in three minutes. But, um, it was just like, you know, it was already pretty infamous around town. Like, wow, Pennywise played and it was just crazy. And the next two times we played after that, it was just, it just got bigger and bigger. And then uh, someone asked us to do a, a, a record, our, our friend Mark Peter at Theologian. We did uh, uh, an EP and then that got to Epitaph. And so it really was only about, a, I think, under a year of playing shows before we already got fined. So it was that quick. So you guys signed with Epitaph, right? And then was the first album, was it Pennywise? Was that the self-titled album? Yeah, the, we call it the Blue Album, but yeah, the self-titled the Blue, Blue Album. Yeah. So not, not to, uh, I don't mean to go back this far, but it's funny. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade in Huntington Beach, my buddy gave me a Circle Jerks tape. And I was like, all right, these guys are cool. Like, I really like them. And then after, you know, I told him I liked it, he gave me the Pennywise tape. And I remember going to fifth grade and I'm sitting in the back of the car, like reading the lyrics inside of the tape thing. It was the coolest thing. And so for some reason, Homeless and Open Door always like stood out to me because I just remember reading those lyrics when I was a young kid. That's really cool. I love that you say tape, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're from the cassette tape generation and I recently did a book. Uh, I, I was part of a book that was about bands that influenced you. And I listen to all kinds of music. And I was a really big fan of a, a kind of more of an indie rock band called The Replacements. Probably a lot of people heard of them. But I distinctly remember being at San Diego State and going to the local warehouse uh, store and uh, um, buying that cassette tape and looking at it in my car and unwrapping it and I'd, I'd never heard them before and then putting them in the tape deck of my Datsun B210 and uh and it was just like I love this band you know it, it you know the, the lyrics hadn't even started yet I just dug it and uh it's so cool to have that memory of where mm -hmm. you're like man I can almost remember the smell of the car and the and uh, all, all those touchstones of that moment where you're like, all right, this something click, like this is really cool. And uh, I've kept a couple of old cassette tapes around here. Uh, I got a stack of them over there in the corner, but uh, of all the, the kind of ones that meant something to me. And it's, it's cool to have those. It's, actually, there's been a few uh, um, uh, record labels these days that have, uh, started bringing back the old cassette tapes burger really? records down in, in uh, Huntington started doing that because they I think they just want to uh, like hold on to something before it gets put into the computer you know mm -hmm. and, and just try and hold on to it for a little while before it becomes one and zero so I always said that was kind of cool I was going to ask you that later, but like, how did you feel or how, how did that affect whether the band or just music industry as a whole of that transition from tapes and CDs going into like digital downloads? Because I remember being a young kid and going to Tower Records or Blockbuster Music and like, you're so stoked when your favorite band is coming out with a new album 
and you can walk in there and you can see it sitting on the shelf and it's so exciting that it's there and you can grab it and you go pay for it versus like going online and clicking for it. And, you know, you put it on a credit card, like, but how do out, yeah. outside of that, like how did that change just the industry as a whole? You know, um, uh, it was uh, revolutionary and not in a good way uh, because not the same as you, I, I spent so much time at Tower Records over in Torrance and at the Music Plus that used to be up here on PCH. And I, I remembered I, in uh, 77, I bought the Sex Pistols album solely on going up and down the aisles and seeing a um, brightly colored album. And it's called the Sex Pistols. And I'm like, that looks like something I'd like. I, mean, I had no idea what a Sex Pistol was <laughs> or, or what any of it was. I just said, oh, that looks like something I'd be into. And I bought it and went home and life changing, you know. Yeah. And so that experience of finding a band out that way, instead of finding it, that it's got 3,000 likes on some pages, a much more organic way to find a band. Yeah. So um, I feel that that's missing. Also, it's it's been tough on musicians because you know, people who want to do this for a living and you, uh, you've lost all that revenue from, uh, downloading and stuff like that. So it's, it makes it hard on bands, you know, only, only the bands that can really, uh, uh, base their career on touring can make it these days. So it wasn't great, put it that way, but you kind of have to live with what it is now. Yeah. That seems, uh, it seems like it definitely took, it took its toll, I guess, overall, just for fans in general. I mean, like you just feel like physically when you have that album in your hand, like you're a part of something that the band made instead of just clicking on it. It just takes away from it a little bit, but I guess. Oh yeah, I, I know. I still, I still buy albums and I still pay for all my music. I've never mm -hmm. illegally downloaded anything. You know, I feel like, I mean, there's so many different ways that, that could up, create upheaval in any industry. You know, yeah. if, if someone finds a way to counterfeit tickets to baseball games or if yeah. someone finds a way to do this, the people, you can't put the games on anymore. It's just the yeah. fact of life, you know, and it, it's unfortunate, but um, uh, the computer has done damage in so many ways. It's, you're, I think people are starting to wonder if it's even worth it. You know, it's just, it's, it's mucked up a lot of, yeah. a lot of stuff out there but at the same time i think there's still good music being made there's still people that pick up the guitar and just want to write a song and let their let, let their uh song be heard you know and uh so as long as people are still doing that and they they can't turn me or my guitar into a computer chip i, I should yeah. be okay for a little while longer is that i don't know how to word this but like is that a way or a thing that you see with especially punk bands or um, people who are in the music industry for the right reasons, I guess you'd say, like to go out and make good music versus having like that other goal of like making money. Everybody wants to make money, support their family, all that. But like just the goal of making good music and putting out good music that people are going to enjoy listening to. Like that to me seems like a really fun way to go about your business on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, I, I've always said, like, um, I, I graduated from from uh, from college and got a job at my dad's uh, air cargo place that he worked, and I, I got a job in the advertising industry and and 
another at a uh, another like spot buying place and and although you know hey everyone's got to find a place to work and everyone's got to find their their way uh through life um i knew from a very young age that i what i really want to do is play music and i really want it i the first time we had a really good show a, a backyard party where like all the jocks were there all the surfers were there all the chicks were there and no one's no one's paying any attention to me at all. I'm a fly on the wall. And then all of a sudden we play that first song and all of a sudden everyone's looking at me, you know, and it really does something to you. Uh, and I know athletes, it's the same way. It's like that pressure comes on and you start to like feed on that, that pressure. And it is a, it can be a do or die type of thing. Like either it's kind of like that danger of getting up there and either you're going to succeed or fail or, and uh, it takes just tons of work, but I think anything that's worth it, uh, you have to have that. You got to have, I've always said it, inspiration, motivation, perspiration, in, in that order, you know, you got to you gotta um, have the desire and then you got to follow it up with uh, work, lots of work. And um, I wouldn't call music work. But at the same time, you have to put in the time. You gotta mm. like I I can remember being in the garage and my friends pounding on the door wanting to go surfing or go party. And I'd be like, hey, I gotta write another song. I've written two already, gotta write the third one today, you know. And I have crates and crates of of songs on cassette tapes that will never see the light of day. But um it takes a it takes a lot of work to to yeah. uh, to be successful in anything. So what is, so if that's like your, your goal to write good music and be successful in terms of making good music, like, what is that like when that first album gets out there, the blue albums out, you know, now people are buying it and there's sales and like, what's that like for you? Is that, is there a moment where it kind of hits you? Like, this is a real thing. People dig us. Like it, this could continue going in a, a, a upward direction. Yeah. You know, there was different parts, uh, of it i think that happened is when like even like the first time playing a song in the studio you're like hey this sounds really good like even i would like this even though i'm still the one playing it like we we've got something here you know like um i remember uh watching fletcher play guitar and byron on the drums was just playing a million miles an hour and and Jason was writing these really cool songs and then I would sing them and like together, I'm like, wow, this sounds really good. And wait till, wait till they hear this, you know, that type of thing. And then, uh, you know, when you play the parties and people come and then you get the record deal. I remember Fletcher and Jason came to my house and saying, hey, we just went up to Epitaph and they want to sign us to a deal. It's like your hair stands on end. You're like, wait, I'm, I'm going to be doing this for real. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, you see the artwork, you go in the studio, and all that becomes magic. And it just kind of becomes this slow build of, of like, each little milestone of you going, like, okay, wow, this is real. This is really happening. And, and then for me, it was quitting my day job. I, was, I had my suit and tie job uh, out in, at a cable TV company selling uh, ad sales. And... Um, I went to the sales meeting like on a um, Friday afternoon, you know, and I, I can remember telling my boss, like, I think I'm going to quit and go on tour to Europe. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what? Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do right now. 
<laughs> kind of told him he couldn't believe it. He's like, okay, uh, that's really strange. Like, yeah, I'm going to go with my punk band. And luckily my, my wife, my family, my dad were, were all supportive of it. Um, and that was a big part of it. You know, I couldn't, if, if all of them would have been saying, dude, don't quit your day job. Mm-hmm. I, I would have had something to worry about, but I think if you get the record deal and people behind you and want to put your stuff out there, you got a good shot at it. What's the, so you get, you, your first album comes out and like you say, you quit your day job. Like this is a real thing, you know, like we're going to do this. We're going to go to Europe. We're going to, we're going to tour. We're going to make more music. How does that, um, I guess that idea in your mind as it, or overall as a band, like as you're making more music, um, you know, is there an idea that you have to, grow or change as a band or is there an effort like a consistent effort to try and stay consistent with the music you're putting out if the last album was was successful or is there a like a need to show that there's growth or change in in the the style or just a um an overall theme of the music yeah that's a kind of been a constant struggle especially for bands in our genre especially you know uh because when you buy a Metallica album, you're not buying a Metallica album to get a polka album or a reggae album. You're getting, you want to hear Master and Puppets. You want to hear, you want to, you want to hear Kill Em All and you want to get fired up and you want to hear distorted guitars and you want to hear uh, exactly what you came for. Mm-hmm. And, but within that, I think you can have variations on the theme. And, you know, uh, Metallica can put out more of a ballad that is within their style. And so I think that is a challenge of, of, you know, for most bands is that you got to try and stay within the realms of what your fan base is willing to accept and save the experimentation for your side projects and solo albums and stuff like that. But that being said, there are some bands that have been successful in reinventing themselves, but I would say it's definitely the exception to the rule that there's not very many bands who have completely changed styles mid-career and were able to keep their following, you know? From, from like a, a process um, perspective, what, like what comes first? Um, like, do you write the song? Do you write the lyrics? Or, or do you write the music and then put the lyrics to it? Like, what is that process like in terms of songwriting with matching the lyrics with music? You know, it's different for everybody. And um, I've actually just been doing some songwriting sessions with a friend of mine's son named uh, Cooper, Cooper Jones. Uh, great kid. He's got muscular, uh, Deschenes muscular dystrophy and a uh, great songwriter. And I've uh, been kind of going through my process with him. And um, uh, you can check him out at cooperscure.org, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, but um for me, it's always been the same way. It's picking up that guitar, strumming some chords, staring at the wall, and just going, you know, putting some chords together, putting a chord progression together, maybe just playing one note, and what's going to come to me? You know, what's this going to be about? It's kind of like, not to sound like a hippie, but it's like opening yourself up to that creative flow to come in and kind of take over. And for me, it's been like getting a few uh chords together and then kind of humming something that um sounds like it fits within that chord chord progression 
And then it's kind of coming up with a key word or a phrase that you feel goes with that or a vibe that goes with that. And then you got to find a hook in there, something that, that kind of ties it all up. But leading up to that time, there's so much stuff that inspires you to get to that point, which is this stack of records right here of The Clash and Bad Religion and Black Flag and Descendants and all these bands and what they've done and and using that as a leaping off point for what you want to do. And then lyrically, all these books that I have around here of just different ideas you have in your head, want to get out there. And, and uh, that's what it's been like for me. Other people, they might write some lyrics first and then try and fit the notes around that and uh, might be uh, a different methodology, but um, that's how it's always worked for me is just getting in the garage with the guitar and, and letting it rip. There's so many songs you guys have that are so like very positive songs. And the, um, like I have my, like I have like a 20, 25 minute drive to work every day. So I have like my playlist, you know, for, for going to work and just, it's my time to like not be on the phone and you know, it's early in the morning. And so you guys, there's three Pennywise songs. I'm always playing like every day, one of those every single day um unknown road and it's up to you and it's just like there's a message in every one of those songs that is um it's very it's very positive it's very uplifting you know and it turns it turns for me into you know controlling your own actions your own day and being um being the person who decides like your own fate based off of your actions and how you do things and i think a lot of them go in that direction and for me like there's there's just such a positive feel to the songs um, in general that are just, I mean, they're, if you take the time and like, listen to the lyrics, they're super uplifting. Mm -hmm. I, I was, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I want to finish your thought though. I, but I, but I always do wonder like where, you know, like where that inspiration comes from. And like you said, books and, and other albums that you've heard and, um, you know, but overall how, how into whether it's things that are happening socially or politically or just overall with like the themes of the country or the, just the state of the world, like how often do those things kind of creep in and, and help kind of drive your lyrics that you're writing? Well, um, that's a good point because for me, I'm going through high school and stuff. You know, I was like any other kid. I just wanted to have fun and go crazy and, and, uh, uh, books and learning wasn't a big part of it for me, but it wasn't until I got to UCLA and and um, I had a, a teacher uh, uh, at um, El Camino first, uh, who was the first guy I had written my, uh, a paper, and he said like, "What are you going to do with your life? You really need to. You're a good writer. You should do something, you know, with with your talent." And I'm like, I never thought about it, <laughs> and. Uh, um, and it wasn't until I discovered uh, American Transcendentalism, which is Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Henry David Thoreau, stuff like that, which is very, it's all, uh, it's American philosophy that's all about um, the individual and looking to yourself for the answers. Even though uh, it was in a religious context, they were kind of separating themselves from too much authoritarian uh, religion and so they were really saying like the genius is inside of you and you really need to look to yourself for the answer and that is true genius is when you take in everything that 
people have told you, but then you make your own choices of what's right and what's good. And then also looking to nature and that you can find a lot of the answers in nature. And, and all that just really struck home with me. And it was, it was really positive and, and uplifting and, and inspiring. And uh, you, you'll see like Gandhi and, and uh, MLK, a lot of uh, great uh, peacemakers and, and important uh, minds cite Emerson and Thoreau as big influences. So that was like a real awakening for me uh like spiritually and intellectually to like i wanted to um create stuff that was positive and cool and it and that's why it was so, such a, it resounded so much when i uh got with the guys in pennywise because jason was really into bands like seven seconds and dag nasty and minor threat who had were songs with uh positive messages so um to have uh, something that I already loved, which was punk rock and fast music, and then this positive PMA, positive mental attitude philosophy, and put that together into one mix. It was like, wow, this is a recipe for, you know, the perfect music for me to get into. And then once I got into the band, then then the songs just started coming and coming and. Uh, I know for sure uh, every single day it's, I've, I've, I've said that many, many times that I feel like that's probably one of the, the best that we can do as far as a song where it's one that Fletcher wrote the guitar part almost completely top to bottom just came in like, look, I've got this song and this is a progression and I listened to it and I wrote it from top to bottom as, as you read it now, you know, like there was never, any editing or whatever it's just like it just came pouring out of me and we like recorded it that day and it was you know it's just an example to me of uh, just a uh, just a statement of 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 being like i can't change the past mm -hmm. can't change the, can't predict the future all that matters is today and, and my the 24 hours i have right now mm -hmm. and i'm going to try and make the best of those but it's probably going to be impossible. So I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't change what's going to happen, but I'm going to do my best for today. And, 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 and these songs, people, I, I had buddies like, Oh, you, you preach too much, you know, in, in your lyrics. And I'm like, man, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not preaching to you. I'm not preaching to anyone listening. I'm trying to convince myself of this stuff and uh, to not have regrets and to not worry too much about the future and good luck with that <laughs> it's it, like there's not a there's not a song that speaks more loudly personally to me than that does um like i bought that thing that picture there the day it came out because i was, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw that it was awesome i mean and it just that the song in general like let's like start over and live every single day like that's i mean and let's do it in the morning because when i'm going to work like you have to like start over and do it again and you know, do it the best you can live the best you can do it the right way, do it the best way. And when it's over, yeah. you can't do anything to change it and then start over and do it again the next day. And yeah, you know, and you're, you, you can avoid monotony in that sense, I think, and, and try to make each day the best you can. And it's just funny to me that I remember the first time I saw you guys live was in Reno and it was like, I think it was strung out and ignite opened up. And, you know, it's like, this is my first, first time seeing you guys. And 
remember hearing the lyrics and it's fast and like all you see bodies in the mosh pit like all over the place and it's this like dichotomy i guess of this really positive message and this fast paced thing it's like you're getting out the angst but staying positive about it like it was just such a cool uh overall experience i just can't even like it's, it, you can't describe it if you've not been there it's it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> i know and i got a front row seat to it that's what i love about it i get to see all the chaos and the um you know it it is a very combustible uh uh element that gets um put together in that uh environment you, you get you know and i remember feeling it as a kid and going to shows and just being like this it's almost like an animal it's like a, it's like the the crowd is there and and everyone's milling around and getting ready and the anticipation is there and then the band kicks in and it's just like wow we are a big mass of of uh adrenaline right now that's the only way i can put it, it it's like but I, I've talked about it before. It's kind of like one of the most righteous ways to get out pent up aggression, because let's face it, we all have aggressions with whether it's the person not moving fast enough in front of you or the, or the, the jerk at the uh, grocery line or the, or the whatever. And we all have to rail, uh, rein all those in and mm -hmm. we're supposed to, and that's good because you never know. You got to have compassion for people. You don't know why this guy's driving so in front of you. Maybe he's, anything's going on you you don't know why this person in the in the line is maybe she's having the worst day of her life so give everyone a break but that stress and that tension is still stays in there mm -hmm. and it and it's kind of like so you're telling me i can just go into this group of people and we can cross check each other and and uh, and i can get some of this pent-up aggression out this is going to be the coolest day of my life and i've i have a still have a broken nose from a, a mosh pit experience where all I know is I, I was in the pit and someone I saw someone backpedaling against me and he got pushed at the last minute and I just saw white, man. A, a dark club just turned white. And uh, when I finally shook myself, I saw my nose was in front of my face. <laughs> was in front of my, my right eye. And I was like, that's not good. I think your your nose is supposed to be in between your eyes, not in front of one of them. And uh, I've got three ribs, two ribs broken from stage size, and uh, I wouldn't take any of it back, even yeah. though uh, I'm a little uglier and I creak a little bit more when I walk around. It's it's uh, it's 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 a righteous way to let out some aggression and uh, yeah. just everyone be safe out there. Yep. And then, and then the best part is the dude that just smoked you is now picking you up off the ground and going, Hey, you good? <laughs> and then they get back to it. Yeah. I'll get you back later, but yeah. I'm yeah. Good. We'll be back around. But I saw, I saw you guys in uh, Vegas and it was my 33rd birthday and I left there that night and I said, I'm never doing that again. I'm in so much pain right now. My body hurts and I can't, I can't do it. Uh, but I did. I, uh, <laughs> I got a, my neighbor around the block is, uh, he charges and he's my age and he still charges and mm -hmm. he uh he's always coming home and i always see him out there and i and i'm going dude you're gonna be feeling this in the morning i know <laughs> you you look happy right now but you're gonna be calling me in the morning not gonna last but, uh, it's worth it so one of the things i was curious about with you with your, your touring i mean you guys have gone to some really cool places i have to imagine that you've uh in your 
your time touring that some of the spots you've been able to go to have just been incredible. And I love to travel. I love going to Europe. I'm curious, where are some cool places that you have gotten to go uh, with Pennywise? Uh, and also when you're touring, like, do you get an opportunity to go and see those places? Like, do you get to go enjoy, you know, those cities at all, do sightseeing or, you know, go out and, and explore the local cuisine or, you know, bars or what have you? Yeah. You know, um, being a beach kid, um, I, I always would gravitate towards the places that would have the beach. And uh, so definitely the many times we've been to Australia and New Zealand, and being able to surf in a foreign country has been just the most awesome thing. And, or just even just to go sit on the beach, it feels like you're back home again. And when you're homesick, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, Australia, New Zealand were huge um, parts of Brazil, you know, and getting to experience a different culture. And you know what? Uh, I really think if more people in this country traveled a little more, Yes. and got to see the rest of the world we wouldn't have half of the problems that we have now and they really need to see how fragile our society is and that we we need to really be careful with with it and because um certain places i've been to and you see the extreme wealth and the extreme poverty poverty and the lawlessness that can go on and and all this type of stuff it really opens your eyes and see how easily something like that could happen here but um but through the years there's there's been so many it's almost too many to recount of the crazy nights usually it's after the show that we'll mm -hmm. go out so there's been times we've been in japan and you wind up in some bar that's the size of this room but it's a fully shaped bar you know <laughs> And you're there until four in the morning and just too many uh, tales of debauchery to recount. Um, I remember a story we've often told. We, we went to Alaska one time and this is when we were really into snowboarding. We went with Blink-182 and Unwritten Law. And uh, this is before both of those bands got big and we had just started getting popular and stuff. But we went to play like a X Games Right. I didn't think the X Games were around yet. It was some kind of like extreme sports snowboarding contest up in Valdez. Hmm. And uh, um, it just so happened that they had wide out conditions and it was like, it's unsafe to go anywhere. It's completely blizzard. And, but we we're like, well, we don't care. We still want to go. We came all the way to Alaska. We're going snowboarding somewhere. So we, we talked a, uh, a cat driver who was just driving down the freeway or down the highway, you know, in the, in this mountainous area. And we were like, we'll give you, we'll each give you everything in our pockets to just take us up the hill somewhere. And so he's like, all right, I'll take you anywhere. You guys are idiots, but sure. And he, he just drove us in this huge cat, uh, cat tractor, took us as far as he could until he was about to roll over backwards. And we went, um, you know, we just had all of us just cruising down in whiteout conditions, huge powder. And, um, and then uh, we, we, at one point we were like, do we go to the right or go to the left? Like we didn't even know where we were. We were completely just on our own, a bunch of California boys in Alaska. And uh, once we got down, we talked to a local and they said, if you would have gone right where you guys went left, 
you would have dropped right into a crevasse and never to be heard from again, you know, and, and we're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we didn't do that. <laughs> so there's been a lot of adventures on the road and uh, a lot of, um, a lot of good times. And, uh, you know, and then, then those make up for the days when you're just, you know, a lot of times it's just, okay, I'm downtown Minneapolis and I'm going to go to Subway and get a sandwich. And then maybe I'll look at the uh, Walmart store, <laughs> you know, walking yeah. around. So uh, sometimes there's not a whole lot to do, but sit there and wait for the show and let the activity happen then. Okay. So that's, that was going to be my, my next question. It's, and I always think about this because of um, mainly because of baseball, like people are kind of surprised at what the like a day in the life of a baseball player is like in terms of that that day the preparation you know when they get to the field the stadium before the game what they've got to do getting ready and then they play and then the stuff they got to do after what is a show day like for you is there a like do you get to the do you get to the venue early um you know, what kind of preparation do you have to do do you you know are you putting your kids to bed and then heading out and you know go, going to sing like what does that day look like <laughs> You know, it's funny because I'm sure it's the same way in, in sports, but everyone's totally different. Mm -hmm. And it, you kind of have to do what works for you. And um, and for me, uh, it's an extremely boring day in the sense that it's usually wake up in whatever town you're in at, at the hotel, uh, do some business, answer some emails because we've all got various business dealings and whatnot talk to the kids at home, make sure everyone's cool there, you know, try and get your, uh, your meals in, you know, and not go crazy of going the junk food route and, and yeah. whatnot and, and, and trying to keep a good diet going. And, um, and then, uh, and, and mind you, this is later in the career, uh, <laughs> early yeah. in the career, it might've been a little different. <laughs> you know, the first van tour might've been, you know, have a Bud Light for breakfast have some <laughs> cigarettes for lunch and hopefully mm. get some beef jerky for, uh, and then, you know, but <laughs> later on, you know, when you're starting to take it a little more seriously and you're, you're not 21 anymore. Yeah. It's, it's just getting ready for the day, taking care of your domestic, uh, necessities, checking in with the wife and kids, definitely, uh, having the video conferencing, stuff like that has really helped. I know a lot of people, know that it's it's when you when you live a life on the road it's been really good having these being able to see the other person and and see my kids so um and then for me there there's there in the music world and i bet the same for the athletes world you have the type of guys who like they want to be there before the groundskeepers get there they want to yeah. be there they're in the park of it early. They want to work out. They want to get in the zone. They want to do, you know, and they want to prep and prep and prep and do all that. And that's what works for them. And then there's the other guy comes in last minute, you know, maybe forgot his, his uh, gear bag, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is more like, I just want to get out there. And like, I, I'm confident I have my stuff. And sometimes that guy doesn't put the pressure on himself. So he's more loose and is able to go in there and, have a better show and, and or a better performance. So everyone's different, but for me, it was all the thing where I didn't want to go too early. And uh, not that I'm antisocial, but it, it, a lot of times it meant I'd have to be talking and arranging so many people, you know, whether it's a guest list, you, you become like the party host, you know? Sure. 
And so for me, it was easier to always just kind of show up right before showtime, kind of get psyched up, maybe uh, warm up the voice a little bit and then get out there and do it. Cause I want there to be that immediacy of the show. And it's something that I've always tried to do, uh, uh, which is I want to mean every word that I say. I don't want this to be a job and, and have any kid or person out there think that I'm, I'm just phoning it in. It's like, mm. it all comes right from the heart through the veins in my neck out through my head and my, my, my voice, you know, it's like, I want people who came to hear the music to know that, that I believe it and I mean it. And, uh, and I'm not there to worry about who's on the guest list or, yeah. or, or, or do this type of BS on the side. I, I, my, my day is my day. And then that time of the day is meant to be the real immediate performance and, and uh, just, try and go balls out as much as I can at, at the, this old age. Do you, is there, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, but are, do you still get nerves when you get up there? Like, or did you ever? No. Really? Uh, and that's kind of the, I, I think that's kind of the weird thing. Such our guitar player, all six, five, 250 pounds of him are, he's lost some weight. So like, that's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Fletcher. Oh. Um, uh, you know, he's the biggest, toughest guy out there and he gets nervous as hell. He's like, oh, got to take a nervous pee, nervous pee. And he's pacing around and he's yelling at people and he's just, he loses his shit before every show. Really? And I, I just kind of show up and what songs are we playing? All right, where's the list? Okay, like, let's go. And I think I've just been a fatalist in that sense of going, you know, of, I think from the first time it's like, Hey, well, this is what I want to do. And you asked for it and, you know, and, and you're here and it's actually, it's exciting for me when something goes wrong or, or one of the guys forgets something like that's, that's something that's kind of funny. So instead of being worried that I, I know that we've been playing so long that we have the ability to play the song, mm -hmm. what's out of my control. And the only thing that I ever get nervous about is i definitely am concerned about the safety of the fans and as much as i love the mosh pit and stage driving and people doing stuff i'm always kind of looking around like hey is someone gonna try and jump off something or hey that girl's down there looks like she's getting crushed you know let's you know so that's the only thing i'm that can take me out of my game is i you know i want everyone to be safe i got kids now and maybe before i was willing to jump off a speaker into the crowd but not anymore because I broke someone's nose doing that one time. And that really? was the last time I did that. <laughs> I, I have to, I mean, yeah, I have to imagine when you're up on the stage and you're looking down, you're seeing everything, right? Like, and even, I mean, I've seen how many shows at house of blues, whether Anaheim or, you know, Vegas or whatever, like get the little, that, that awning thing over the top and they're hanging right over the people. And that's gotta be, yeah. cause you know, it takes one person to go, Oh, I could totally make this. <laughs> you know? uh, we've had some, too many of those and uh and we stop it right away now because we've been yeah. in uh, a couple situations where uh yeah you get into some legal issues and sure. it's good and no one likes to be in a room with lawyers no. mad at you no <laughs> or, or or in general probably <laughs> yeah. all right so so 2009 you left the band right yeah which i will say as a fan uh that news was crushing <laughs> 
Uh, but I was an Ignite fan, so hearing Zoli was uh, was going to be stepping in was, I guess, the second best option. Um, you know, I watched the other F word, um, which I'd never seen actually up until about a week ago. Um, I'd, I read Punk Rock Dad, but I'd never seen the other F word. That was super interesting. I really like that. Um, but was that like was that it for you? Were you done? Like, were you were you ready to be done with it? No, um, I'll, I'll tell you. To be quite honest, there's been a lot of different speculation and people trying to control the narrative of what happened there but mm -hmm. it was basically a situation where i felt we had just we had just put out a, an album on a new record label we had just toured more than we'd ever toured mm -hmm. and we um and we had just done a tour that was sponsored by a, um, a company and uh, I just think things had gotten where we, as the Brits say, we had lost the plot a little bit, like, mm -hmm. and things were going a little too crazy in the studio and on the road. Like there was just, we needed to take a break from each yeah. other, you know? And, uh, um, and I just said, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to take a break, you know? And they're like, well, we want to go to, we want to go on the next tour, you know, we're not mm -hmm. stopping, you know? And, and it was kind of like, you know, I, you know, not to get on the therapist's couch, but I was like, wow, you know, all right, I, I'd like to take a break right now. And you guys are saying either take a break or we'll go without you. It's like, well, thanks a lot, you know. And uh, and so some uh, wounded pride there made me go like, all right, I guess I'm, I'm taking off for a while. And they decided to do... Uh, what they did and um you know uh and at, at the time i i was like hey I, I told them straight up i go hey i just uh if, if i you know if i if i'm gonna go i'm probably put out my own record with the ended up doing the black pacific and then uh um you know i'll i'll do whatever and so it was kind of like we just kind of left and didn't talk to each other for the entire time out of it and um but it wasn't until it's it's kind of crazy because right at the time when I started thinking, I want to be what it'd be like if I got back in the band because you have to understand I live a mile from Fletcher and Byron. <laughs> we uh -huh. went to the same high school. You know, we we have the same friend group. We have, uh, you know, there's so much history in this town. Yeah. It's it's a small town. It's not like uh you know for that it was definitely like being in a divorce everyone had to pick a side of whether you're <laughs> with jim or you're still with Pennywise. Sure. and you know it was rough on everyone and it was more like me just going like i just want this to stop you know like let's just let's get maybe we should just get back together and we'll just wing it from there and it was like i want to say the day that that thought crept through this ear and in my mind i got a phone call from fletcher like that day like hey let's let's go have a beer and he's like what do you think and it was like it was that easy you know and uh yeah. you know uh i think that you know it was something that was needed for me and uh uh just for my sanity and and you know we've always been four headstrong dudes and we we do the best we can it's 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 never easy i you know, I to keep equating it with the uh, the athlete world. You know, it's hey man, you have your teammates, 
but then there's going to be times where there's issues, you know, issues can come up <laughs> and, uh, and you, unless you have a really good leader and, or, or someone who can force the band to communicate on a adult level and, and on a way that's constructive, um, the resentments are going to form. And, and unless you can uh, communicate, it's, you're, you're screwed. I mean, I, I, can, only, I can only imagine I, I, being part of teams and coaching teams you get to that point, whether it's the season or whatever, where it's like, you know, what, if I, if I see you again tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to probably kill you. I can't, I can't even look at you. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're with those people exactly. so much. And and, and, and and then you have to get on the bus with that person the next day and drive 500 miles with them, you know? And the, the last person you want to see, cause you just had a fight last night is now you, you're busting behind you. with them in the hallway of the bus, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, they just, yeah. And cause I've, you know, the last few years I've been able to travel and, and I travel with some friends of mine and it's like, man, at the end of that, um, I don't want to talk to you for like two weeks. And then after that, we're going to be fine, but we need well, you some can time. Imagine, you, you can imagine 20 years and that's basically, <laughs> uh, what it was then at that yeah. point. And, uh, um, we, uh, we were at that point for, for me and, uh, I just really wish we would have just said like, Hey guys, let's just take a break and not, not, and give each other some time for a while. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it does. There's probably, um, this whole COVID thing has been terrible for everyone, but, um, uh, and that's a giant understatement. Um, but for us, it was uh, a time to give each other some space and, which was, was much needed and, and be with our families. And uh, I think that's extremely necessary. And I, I would one day like to put out some type of roadmap for bands. And only because I feel like we're a band that did it so wrong that there, there needs to be a, a manual for people out there of how to do it right. And probably this, there, there probably there is something like that, but um, it's the same thing for, for sports and stuff of, and if you're not communicating, uh, there's resentments are going to form. It's natural. And if, and like, when you talk to you about like, Hey man, someone's getting on my nerves instead Mm -hmm. of people just letting someone get on your nerves or something, it'd probably be better if we all said, Hey, you know what, man, I need like 10 feet of space from you right now. No hard feelings and nothing, nothing personal, but, and maybe it's all me, but uh, I'm just going to communicate with you. And that is that we need separation. You know, you got to keep it separated. I guess that <laughs> they weren't wrong. Dexter had, he was <laughs> yeah. on to something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe uh, I, I always thought that had to do with probably prison cells because like, yeah. <laughs> that's what they do. Like, let's put this guy in solitary for a while while he figures his stuff out. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh you know, it's uh, it's something where I, once again, I all always take it back to communicate. And uh, we actually went to a, a band therapist a, a couple of years back and and did some talking. And I wow. think probably some bands need more than that, more than they think they do. You know, of of, and this is why you see so many bands breaking up or, and and things happening like this. It's it's really tough for 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 unique individuals to paint a picture together 
you know, and then yeah. also open a, open a bank account together yeah. and cash checks together. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite an undertaking, but you know, it's worth it in all the end. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm not, I don't want to crush you with Pennywise questions because I do want to talk the other side, but I, I'm curious, what is, what is Brohem like from the stage? Cause I, when I, when you're in this, when you're on the floor, when Brohem starts, there is like a, there's this feeling that comes over everybody there. Like they know what it is. They know, like, this is it. This is the last song. And like, there's just a feeling that comes over the entire crowd. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you've seen you guys, you guys play. Um, but what is that like from the stage? There's all, always people up there. I mean, what is that like? Oh man, it, it's kind of something that happened spontaneously over the years and has been uh, every level of crazy, but um, being inside the song and knowing what it's about, about the spirit of having friends and mm-hmm. and friendships and people who have, have passed on and, and just wanting to remember that spirit of friendship of knowing like, man, this song is um, resonating with these people and it doesn't matter who you are and uh you've lost somebody you know it, it doesn't you know it's somewhere down in your life there's someone who's gone that you miss or there's someone who passed tragically and uh if it hasn't yet happened yet it will knock on wood and um uh there's a a feeling that comes over you of you know, just wanting to capture that emotion and um, and spend it with your friends. And it, it does go back to every single day of like, hey, man, let's live every day like it's our last while we're still here because mm-hmm. you never know which one will be your last. So that's so if you can encapsulate all that feeling and put it into a song and just have people say, whoa, 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 three times. <laughs> uh there's something about that formula that makes exactly what you're talking about happen everywhere we play so that's yeah. a great feeling it's, it's there's actually right right here i've got a picture of my brother and i when i was coaching him in high school my mom got me that picture and on the top it says brotherhoods are rule we cannot bend and like it's my absolute favorite thing yeah. she knew that was you know my song and like um i will tell you i was gonna tell you this before but like my, my one of my favorite memories with my brother, I took him to his first ever concert and it was, it was you guys. And it was in Reno where I went to college and it was January of 2002. And we were four months after September 11th. And it was like really our first time in a large crowd. And I mean, you remember like things were a little weird back then and um, you know, a lot of uncertainty. And there was a part yeah. when you, you said the song goes out to Osama bin Effin Laden. And my brother is like 13 and he's standing up on like the, like the little security thing. And he's got middle fingers up in the air. And there's, you know, I told my mom, like, I'm gonna take good care of him. Don't worry. And here's Nick at a Pennywise show with his middle fingers up in the air. It's one of the coolest memories I have at, at a, uh, at a Pennywise show. So that was, that was one of my favorites. That's great. Yeah. I have, I have a way with words sometimes in those it, it situations. Works. Sometimes you Sometimes you just have to be very direct. And uh, I find that that's the best method for me. I've never been like the vandals or anyone. I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I know when to say fuck someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a time and place and like have at it. I mean, why not? Do you yeah. have, a, okay. Last Pennywise question. And then we'll move on. Do you have a, uh, 
Do you have a favorite song that you enjoy when you know it's coming up that you're going to be singing? Um, probably the easier ones. I'll tell you what, every <laughs> single day might be my favorite song. Uh, it's a barn burner to play. It's, I don't I think there's a, there's a, a split se second in that song where I'm not huffing and puffing because it's a lot of words and sentiment to get out. And I, I have to, you know, when I come out of the, out the show, my head, I usually have a headache after every show because like the, the bones in my head have been flexing for an hour and a half, you know, and it's like, um, uh, that's a tough one, but, um, I don't know if there's, it's probably is Broham, you know, but just yeah. because, you know, I know what to expect in that song and it's going to yeah. be a huge communion of, of souls, you know, mm -hmm. who are going to be, regardless of who you are and what your walk is in life, it's, uh, the universal thing of, uh, of community and, and uh, trying to re remember the good times and, and uh, you know, just that whole spirit of the song that comes out. And it, it's, it's like the exclamation point of every show. So yeah. it has to be grow him. Okay. All right. That's it. I'm not going to ask any more Pennywise. I apologize. I was <laughs> All right. that's, that's, that's uh, the subject. I know the best, so I'm good cool. with it. Yeah, no. And I, and it's cool because I, yeah, I've, I've gotten an opportunity to talk to people in baseball and I've gotten an opportunity to talk to people in whiskey. And those are things I'm, I'm interested in, you know, and reach out to you because like my favorite band ever. And it's like, well, if I can get an opportunity to talk to you, like that'd be really cool. Uh, but I know nothing about like the music industry or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really cool to hear like how you prepare yourself. And, and it's, there is that tie in the correlation to sports. And I don't care if it's like, I, I found it with people that own whiskey distilleries, like they're that correlation to working with a team, whether it's a band, a team, a group at a distillery, like you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have fights. I mean, I've seen some of the best fist fights between teammates or it just happens, you know, but you, you get through it because you know, everybody's got a common goal and it makes it even better when you're producing a product that is uh, that's quality and you fought your way through it. And I think it's really cool. So I, I, yeah. I, it's really cool. So I appreciate that, but all right. So growing up in LA, going to Dodger games, who was your, who was your, who was your player? Who's your guy? Like, did you have a f favorite guy? favorite player or like a couple of ones or what was your who's your guy for sure my favorite dodger player of all time was steve yeager really? yeah yeah um and i went to the world series game where he uh back-to-back -back home run with uh god my memory's going now it was either i uh ron say mm -hmm. um but uh uh think it was or it was Guerrero but they, they we hit back-to-back -back home runs he was the MVP and uh I was when in little league I was uh I played catcher for a year I played all kinds of positions but I played catcher and and my dad bought me all the catcher gear I just you know really dug that you know like having all that gear to wear and yeah and so I was a big fan I wanted to be a catcher Steve Yeager was the catcher so I was like, and then I got to go to the World Series where he was MVP, and it, it, you know everything fell into place for Jaeger to be my my favorite player. I am considering writing a song about Steve Jaeger. I don't want it to sound weird, but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to sound more like you know of being such a fan of a guy, and plus he was just a rad dude. You know, he was yeah. just like he was like the the uh, 
he had the big glasses and he was such a 70s 80s dude and, and uh uh yeah he was by far my favorite player but um that was to, to me and i know a lot of my friends who are my age was just the golden era for the dodgers uh before your time but uh um garvey davy lopes uh bill russell uh you know jaeger uh don sutton all those just great players um to hersheiser to yeah. fernando to uh yeah obviously uh i was at the game when ron say got beamed yeah. and taken off um and uh and uh, and just the battle with the yankees and oh yeah just that whole time that was just huge and uh the series with the a's was amazing too i was on the other side of the field for that one and and uh you know just some of the most exciting times of my youth you know and and yeah. is going to that ballpark and the whole i mean uh dodger stadium is such a beautiful place oh, it's yeah. like one of the nicest looking studios out there and it's a classic you know it, it doesn't yeah. you know you see some of these places now and not to be a hater but they look more like a mall than a, than a baseball diamond and yeah. uh and uh and I've been to, I have friends in the Dropkick Murphys who, uh, um, uh, so I've been to uh, a, a lot of other baseball uh, stadiums, different places and seen them and been like, okay, now that's, even though I hate the green monster, I, I sure. always hated that thing. Uh, um, I mean, like, this is, this is cool. Like, this is how it's supposed to look. And I, I, I won't say which one I went to. But um, I was at a rather new uh, baseball stadium, and um, uh, guys in the crew are like, "We're going to the game. It's right over there." And I'm like, "Well, where? Where is? Where is the stadium? Like, what are you talking about?" And they're like, "It's right there." And I'm like, "Where is it?" And then I look through like the facade of what looks like a the entrance to a I, I don't know what it, what you would say. It looks like the entrance to a Nordstrom <laughs> or a Macy's. I have an idea. I have like an idea it. of what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I looked through it and I, oh, I see some green grass in the middle of it. And it's just <laughs> like, that is so weird. I can't imagine a stadium ever to look that way. But um, yeah, so definitely Steve Yeager was my favorite uh, player and, and uh, always will be. Um, and, and that era was my favorite time. But I'm a true blue fan from uh, from the beginning, you know. That was you're right. I mean that that era was so so great, and like those guys are icons. Like when they're around, yeah. you know, whether it's at fantasy camp or spring training, and Steve Yeager's there, you know, you get to see Steve Yeager and and sit down and have a conversation with him. And Steve Garvey, Steve Sachs, and, and not everybody's named Steve, but like they're all around. <laughs> like yeah. Oral Hershiser's there, and you know, I remember having a conversation with Oral Hershiser about pitch calling, and you know, somebody walks in like, well, that was cool, <laughs> you know, like that's Oral <laughs> Hershiser and. I mean, yeah. some of those guys were, you know, when you got to watch those guys play, I mean, it's, um, the era was so great. Reggie Smith. I mean, same thing. We got to have a, a zoom yeah. call last year, all of our, our minor league managers, we had a zoom call with Reggie Smith and just listening to him break it down was so cool. And it's just that, that era those guys played in was such a, such a pure era of baseball. And those were just badass men that were going to yeah. like, they're going to compete and they're going to rip your head off if they had to. And they're, they're, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember just thinking like I, I would always equate Steve Garvey with the with the six million dollar man. We had this thing back <laughs> the bionic man. He had these forearms, like oh, normal yeah. build, and then he had Popeye forearms that were the size. <laughs> yeah. Like he he could he could rope a ball out of the park with a flick of his wrist, like yeah. no problem. He had so much forearm strength and and uh it, it was just a great time. My dad had box seats right on the first baseline. So I got to sit right, right behind him and see every throw across, you know, every, every play get run out. And um, it's, it's like, they make it look so easy, but it's such mm-hmm. a well-oiled machine. Uh, and it was like clockwork. And, and um, to, uh, just to know the discipline that it takes to get into that and all the hard work. I've had some friends that uh, have various friends that have, uh you know have, have gone into uh not professional all the way yet but i have a, one friend who's uh his son's a hockey player and hopefully going to be playing with the philadelphia flyers mm-hmm. and uh um and i know what it takes man it takes dedication and it takes hard work and and you're you've got to be in great physical shape and um and yeah so it was uh it was great to watch that and 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 uh, just see the development of that team and and gosh wow. i mean tommy lasorda i mean wow. what is there I, I i really we have been so lucky in la to have some of the best coaches and announcers oh yeah all time and that is uh chick hearn for chick the lakers hearn. no doubt uh and then. uh vince coley yeah um between chick hearn and vin scully i really uh, and if someone can help me do this out there i want to because i know they we have all the tapes of them playing so why can't someone do an algorithm that just takes those audio clips it's a high fly ball mm-hmm. and just insert the new players <laughs> names but vin can still call the games for us and same oh. with chick hearn you know it's the, the regular play calls, they've got to have every single combination out there. So, so no. just for me personally, I want to hear <laughs> a, a modern, uh, modern uh, Vin Scully game. But then also, uh, you know, I couldn't even watch all the Tommy sort of stuff because um, I, it just, it hurt too much. And I know it's, it's, it was the same way with all of them. I'm just kind of one of those guys, like I just rather not watch it because yeah. it, they were such a big part. And, and, Tommy was just one of those coaches who are managers that was not afraid to show his emotions. And yeah. um, I hate it in opposing coaches. But I love it <laughs> when it's ours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, uh, those were tough ones. And, um, uh, but I think we've been very fortunate with uh, Jerry West, yeah. you know, with the Lakers and, uh, uh, you know, Pat Riley and, and just all these, these great coaches, great players. And we've been blessed here, you know, I think what's, I went to the world series in, uh, 17 and 18 and 17, you know, I, I went to world series games before for one of the teams in Northern California. I'm not going to mention them, um, but they were playing the angels. So I think that was okay. But, um, you know, when you invented retired, and, you know, you go out there and it's, it's game one and you hear him say it's time for Dodger baseball. And like you get chills. Like that is a, yeah. I think anybody that grew up in Southern California watching Dodger games or listening to him on the radio, like when you hear that there is 
that voice is so distinct. And so when you're at the World Series and it's packed and there's so much anticipation, when you hear it's time for Dodger baseball and in his voice, it's like, oh my God, this is incredible. And and then and yeah. then Tommy, I mean, you know, the last two years in spring training, he's come out and he's sat down and you know, one of our coaches will come in and he's like, Okay, hey, Tommy's over in the equipment room. And you you go over there and you sit down with him and he tells stories and you listen to everything he has to say. And it, yeah. he is unfiltered and as um yeah. as real as a person can possibly be. And this last year, like I remember he sat down with us and he told us, he goes, when you wear this uniform, you wear it with pride and dignity. And it's like, that's coming from the guy who, who epitomizes what it means to wear this uniform. So like, you're damn right. When I put this thing on, like, I'm going to be proud of wearing this. Um, it's not any yeah. other uniform. It's not anything else, uh, like any other sport. Um, there's, there's a, uh, there's a history behind it that, that you, you have to love and respect. Plus, he was like, uh, he was like the, the uncle you never had, you know, and he was just <laughs> that familiar to you. You you, yeah. you feel like, even though he's so venerated and, and respected, you feel like if he sat down next to you, he, you know, you'd be telling jokes and, yeah. you know, or ordering pasta and, you know, <laughs> in no time at all. And, yeah. and those are always the best people out there. And, and uh, he really made it feel that way. And um you know you just hope that for the band i mean uh i mean that's why i'm bringing it back to being in the band but you know as much as you know talking about us having our our breakup time or when i was out of the band we definitely had some good times together and yeah. have had some good times together and, and i i care for the dudes in the band and and we've laughed our ass off and I we've bet. had you know, we've had some times on stage where we appreciate what we have and acknowledge that. So it, you just kind of hope that, I mean, you see that in, in the times when they, you know, had their big successes of, that they really appreciate what they had and, and, and continue to have now, which seems like uh, things are going pretty good for us again. So good yeah, news. it's a good, it's, it's a good start. We'll say that talented team. <laughs> yeah. How how was yeah. that? How was that for you? I mean, as somebody who's been a Dodger fan for such a long time, like, how was that for you last year seeing the World Series? And you know, I know you you mentioned earlier like UCLA and getting to the the national championship game, and, and that's your alma mater. And like, I mean, it's a, it's been a great year for LA sports with <laughs> you know the Lakers, the Dodgers, like UCLA. I mean, how was that for you seeing that that championship yeah. since '88 finally happen? You know. Um... Uh, I have a group of friends on uh, social media and, and I'm, I've gotten less and less vocal about stuff, but I'm still very vocal about my sports because <laughs> the political stuff is too much to get into. Sure. Um, and, uh, uh, but as far as sports, I still let it rip. And I have a text group of uh, three friends and we, uh, we, during the, the seasons, we text all day long. I'm my, <laughs> it's not good trust me it's it's bad because there's a lot of ripping on each other like you're, you're the biggest idiot to think that was a good call you know it's like <laughs> you're the biggest moron you know and it just it goes on for but it the much worse words than moron just I'll yeah, put it that I way i believe it but, uh, <laughs> but um uh you can imagine with what happened with the um houston yeah. And, and that, and, uh, I did not take that well as a nope. fan and, uh, um, and 
you know, a uh, big debate on there of uh, how much this happens in baseball. And I wasn't buying that. And um, so it was really felt very, very uh, betrayed. So um, uh, because I felt the Dodgers deserved it and, uh, and more than once. And uh, so I was fighting mad when, when this, if, if I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't won this last one. It wouldn't oh, have been boy. good because no. <laughs> you think you've seen riding before you you would have seen a lot at the Lindbergh house. But um uh yeah, so it I would say it was equal parts relief. Yeah, sure. And, and that we finally got there and it wasn't snatched away from us in some cruel fashion as before. Mm -hmm. Um uh, the, the, the time before that, two times before that, we were in Australia and um, uh, we were giving Fletcher a hard time because we call Fletcher the cooler yeah. <laughs> in the sense that he, uh, whenever we watched the game with him, the Dodgers would lose. Or if, if he went to the Dodger game, they would lose. So we, we called him the refrigerator. You know, he, he, he cools, you're the cooler. <laughs> so we ended up after a while, like just watching it by ourselves in the room because we, we didn't want to jinx it. And then when the, oh. when that season went down, uh, oh, that was a tough one. And I think one of the Australian shows was probably not our best show because we were all so pissed off they had just lost <laughs> the yeah. series. But uh, you can't let that get in the way of a show. But at the same time, uh, it was a long time coming. And um. And and uh, it was exciting, man. It was a, exciting. I, I love when the Dodgers come back. You know, yeah. I love it when they're down. I, it, it's always been this thing like, oh, they're, they're you know, they're head and shoulders about uh, everyone else. And then they get down and then they come back. And, mm -hmm. and like, that's always really, you know, it's if, if, a, if a team just blows through mm -hmm. and wins it all, it's almost like like that was that way in the final four you know of yeah the uh you know it was funny because usc was playing so good they mm. were blowing people out but i was like that game wasn't even exciting to watch but the ucla game alabama and then gonzaga were two of the best basketball games i've ever seen but i thought yeah. sc would if anyone would have a chance to beat gonzaga i thought it would be sc i never thought we'd come up so i just like everyone else i just want to see exciting sports yeah, and I, I hate the the idea of of cheating, cheaters getting away with it, and so uh, it was a big relief to finally get that uh, that win again, and yeah. and couldn't be happier. And I think there's more to come. Yeah, it's uh, they're off to a really nice start, and they're very talented. And uh, it's funny because like people, the we'll call them the haters. The haters always yeah. want to talk about well, it's a, it was a shortened season, you know, all that. But you know, in reality those guys had more to deal with this past year than any other team has ever had to deal with the, the COVID protocols were insane. And the fact that they yeah. didn't go through any shutdown, they were able to remain on the field. They were, they were able to keep their players on the field. I mean, that to me shows that they were, ha they, they went through the discipline that uh, quite honestly, other teams didn't do because it wasn't easy. And so, yes, they were the best team and they were the ones that were able to stay healthy um, and, and abide by the protocols that they probably didn't necessarily like or agree with, but they did it for the good of the team. And focus. I mean, no. what is it? I'm sure you've been a coach. What does everyone talk about is like keeping your focus. And yeah. it's the hardest thing to do. 
because distractions. Well, what's more goddamn distracting than a good global <laughs> pandemic? And you're worried about your family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're worried about your family. You're worried about um, uh, the fans. You're worried about your players. You're worried about yourself getting yeah. sick or, or what's going to happen. And there's so much uncertainty. Talk about losing your focus. It's like someone mm. going like this to you while you're playing. Like, yeah, yeah hit the ball. You know? And tell you to focus while you're doing it. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I don't, I don't accept that criticism at all. None. I think they won it. I think they won it in the hardest season ever. Hundred percent. There should be an asterisk on every every other pen except for theirs. <laughs> I, I'll tell you though, I'm I am excited because I'm I'm pretty sure that Monday, Monday or Tuesday of next week, I get my World Series ring, uh, and that that's going to be. That my wife's angry that it costs significantly more than her wedding ring. However. <laughs> This is a big deal. It's the Dodgers yeah. World Series, you know. Honey, like, honey. <laughs> Dodgers World Series, babe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, you, you know, honey, you're gonna have to go and deal with that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still love you, but you know what? Like, yeah. it's a big one. <laughs> this is the big one. This is what I work for. Um, all right. So last part of it. What do you? Uh, you mentioned you had a, had yourself a glass of whiskey that was uh, that was delivered to you. Um, uh, I will um, say, I, I got to tell you though, this is kind of like a cool thing for me that I get to have a, uh, a, a whiskey with, with the lead singer Pennywise. I mean, that is cool for right. me as a fan. Yeah. What are you drinking? What is that? Uh, it's funny. Um, I, I'd never heard of it. My friend who's got the son, who's a hockey player, um, uh, friend Darren, uh, he brought me this strange looking bottle and it's called angels envy. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a bourbon finished in a port barrel. Okay. Um, yeah, they finish it all. They get a port wine barrel and they finish the bourbon in there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a nice it's one. Damn good. It's really good. <laughs> they make a they make a rye that's really good as well. Um, okay. And they've got a uh, they've got a cask strength which is rather expensive. Um, but if you don't like the high proof, it's probably not worth getting. But yeah, it's it's a good one. I like it. Yeah. So here I've been waiting. To yeah, do man. This. No doubt. Cheers. I appreciate it. Well, okay. I'm not going to take up your entire day. We've been talking long enough. This is literally like a huge highlight for me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And, and truthfully, like how much I appreciate the music that you've made. Um, it is an absolute, it's an inspiration. It was a, I posted a picture the other night on my Instagram of uh, the, the, the view with, you know, like our upcoming episode. I try to get people, you know, interested in the episodes and I ha it's funny how many people I had that reached out that were like, Oh my God, like, that's awesome. You're, you're lucky. Like, it's so exciting because, and there is funny. They were all from my high school. They were all from high school, from college, a uh, few from college. Uh, but you know, like everybody coming from Southern California, because we were probably like in that area, you know, in the late nineties, like we're in batting practice at Edison high school and we've got a Pennywise album playing, you know, and like you go to college and there, there wasn't as many people that were like familiar with punk rock. So like growing up, I think in Southern California was such a, it, it makes me think like that punk rock, punk rock gets more regional as it goes. Um, but like, there were so many people that reached out from high school that were like, that is so cool. Like you're going to talk with, with Jim Lindbergh. And uh, so there was a lot of fans that were, that were excited because of the music that you guys put out. That was like a soundtrack of our, like our, our upbringing. I mean, it really was. So like, I appreciate it. I appreciate the music you guys put out and, and I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. So do I get to uh, check out the uh, Dodger ring uh, at the next show? 
Yeah, no, there's no <laughs> doubt. Uh, you guys are aren't you guys are coming to, to Phoenix, right? You guys aren't you guys coming to Tempe? Tempe. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, you want to get on the guest list? Is that, is that I, what that side <laughs> No, it's it's. I don't know if I can bring a World Series ring to a Pennywise concert. And, uh, <laughs> I know I wouldn't either. Maybe you can send me a picture. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture on Instagram. But yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have to go and see that because it's been it's been way too long, and I think the uh, the angst is definitely ready to to go be at a a punk rock show. Yeah, so. sure. Well, well, we'd love to have you out, and I appreciate you uh, talking to me about uh, three things I love. Yeah, they're all all great things. I appreciate your time. All right, Andrew, Jim. Thank, thank you very thanks much. So much. And, uh, go blue. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> All right.